This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello there, my friends. It's Jeremy Myers, and you are listening to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It's the middle of July. Halfway through summer, basically, so far. Hopefully your summer's going well. And I am delighted that in today's podcast episode, I have an author with me, Dan Kent, to talk about his book, Confident Humility. Now, I'll be honest, when I first heard about a book about humility, I wasn't too excited to read it. But I have to tell you, this this is by far the best book on humility I have ever read. So I'm excited to have Dan with me today to talk about this book, share it with you a little bit. I do want to let you know, however, before we get to Dan and his book, since it is summer, my podcast episodes are going to be a little sporadic. I'm not going to be having them every week. I'm going on vacation with the family, just taking some time off, so it'll be a little hit or miss. I appreciate your patience as we get through summer here, but I imagine you're busy also and you don't have time to listen to all the episodes. So uh, anyway, just wanted to let you know about that. Anyway, I'm really excited to get to this book, Confident Humility with Dan Kent, so we are going to turn right away to Dan and his book. Dan, thank you so much for joining me for the One Verse Podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Oh, hold on. A little snafu right away. Okay, there we go. Dan, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jeremy. Good to see you. Likewise. Now, I met you... Oh, it was a couple years back, right? At uh, 2017, 2000. the Renew, the Renew Conference. Uh, Greg had just come out with Greg Boyd had just come out with Crucifixion of the Warrior God, and he had a big conference here in Minnesota. And uh, and you said you were just you're going on vacation, so I'm assuming you're coming to Minnesota, right? <laughs> going camping with the family, actually, out to the <laughs> woods. So, uh, but yeah, sometime I want to get back out there and see you. All. Right. So I came out there. Greg had just come out with his book. Uh, Crucifixion of the Warrior God, I guess I should say books. Yeah. Um, And I came out for the conference, met you. I'd been listening to your guys' podcast for a while, uh, the one you do with Greg, but tell a little, uh, tell the people about what you do just for your, uh, you know, as you, as Dan Kent, who you are, and then also maybe a little bit about what you do with Greg and Renew.org. Yeah. Well, I'll start with the, what I do for renew.org. Uh, that's basically, it's Greg Boyd's website. It's really his focus on a Jesus centered Christianity, uh, applying a Jesus centered life to basically everything. Um, and with Greg, I do a, a podcast called Greg Boyd apologies and explanations. And basically it's a, it's a Q and a podcast. And, um, each episode is five to eight minutes long. And I really wanted something that we could do in short bursts, uh, just because there's a lot of podcasts that go two hours. And, and for me personally, I just, I lose attention. So I wanted something that was a little short. So that's been, uh, you know, by my standards, a huge success. So we just, just had our two millionth download and, um, man, that, that blows me away. So it's been really well received and it's been a blast. So Greg's Greg, you know, Greg, he's just, he's a blast. So he's, he's fun. Yeah, he really is fun. And it is, it probably is my favorite podcast of the ones I've listened to simply. I mean, it's Greg, number one, you just can't go wrong with Greg, but, um, also because it is so short, five to seven minutes, People yeah. go back and listen to the very first intro episode of my podcast. That was my goal, to explain verses of scripture in five to seven minutes. And oh, no. It has never <laughs> happened, not even once. 
That's funny. So anyway, I, I knew yeah. that that was sort of a nice target time zone because people are, you know, busy. Well, the other thing, the other thing too, is if it's an episode that you don't agree with or you don't like, or you don't, you know, whatever, you can get out of there really quick. You yep. know, you don't, you're not stuck in there. Yep. So that's kind of nice. So. so, but you know, me personally, I, uh, I basically, I write and um, I've been preaching at, at Woodland Hills you know, a couple of times and I'll, I got a few more coming up and then, um, I, I work part-time, just pick up shifts at the hospital. I work with, uh, schizophrenic patients and basically any patient with psychosis. And that's usually schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, or lately we've been getting a lot more, uh, drug induced psychosis from some of these synthetic drugs. And hmm. so just a lot of, a lot of psychosis. Um, and then, uh, yeah, but mostly I, I write and, and uh, that's that's what I when I'm not procrastinating. Mm-hmm. Now you've written some other books too, uh, yeah. sort of yeah. coming off of the C.S. Lewis uh, screw tape letters theme, right? That's right. Yeah. So I have a, a series called The Training of KX12, and it's a modern version of the screw tape letters. So it's a demon in hell, and he's writing letters to a demon on earth, and he's teaching them how to corrupt people. Uh, and and so really what it's about is it's about what causes people to fail and succeed. And and so it's really more about human nature, even though the story is about demons. And But really that just gives me an excuse to make fun of corporate America and bureaucracy and stuff like that. So it's, it's <laughs> Yeah, they're fun. really uh, well-written and interesting reads. And, uh, you know, following the theme of C.S. Lewis, you're sort of channeling C.S. Lewis there. So yeah, that's definitely. good. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this. I've written a book on humility myself. You have? Yeah. It's, it's called The Three Most Humble Men in the World and How I Led the Other Two to Christ. Uh, nice. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because uh, when I first started working on this, I, I think I had to do a humility joke. Yeah. But then what I realized was that all of the humility jokes were based on this view of humility that I think is wrong. And so, uh, and that that one included. And, yeah. and it's funny but uh, it's it's based on a flawed view of humility. It is. So. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But I do want you to know, and I definitely want my listeners to know, uh, and I sort of said it there in the intro, I will be completely honest with you, Dan. When I heard about your book on humility, I'm like, oh my word, could he have picked a more boring topic, humility? Because <laughs> we all think we know what humility is, right? Uh, right? We think we know what it looks like, how it works, and we sort of have this idea on how to achieve humility or how to act humble or whatever, uh, how to how to live a humble life as a Christian before others. But I got to let you know, uh, when I read this book, it turned my entire view of humility upside down. I was floored at what you're teaching here and showing and revealing about humility. And it really, we'll get into a text or two later to show how this view of humility is taught in Scripture and uh, how it really affects how we live our lives as Christians as well. So uh, look, your book is fantastic. Um, best book out there on humility, bar none. It has these delightful stories. Um, uh, uh, parents, cover your kids' ears real quick. There's even a penis story in the book, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> um, and uh, look, incredible insights. Just overall, a really, really good book. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, 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 uh, I'm just thrilled with the the response that I've gotten so far, and I had no idea that people would like it as much as they did. And you know how it is as as a writer, you're insecure about you know, is this any good? And I've just been thrilled with the response so far. So good. And that right there was humility, right? I don't know. <laughs> and that's the thing. Humility is more 
uh, well, like I said, you said, we'll get into it more, but it's, it's more about how we view one another and how we view ourselves. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I, I don't want to get too far ahead. No, <laughs> but the thing is, is if I had praised someone like that, a typical Christian, sometimes the typical response would have been, well, I just give all, all glory to God. He really, right. you know, you know what I'm right. And that's yeah. sort of the typical hum, uh, humility response we expect. And you didn't do that. Yeah. You just said, well, thank yeah. you. That means a lot. I'm really, you know, happy that it's getting, getting this response. And yeah. I mean, we will get into it, but that's sort of the gist. That's exactly right. Yeah. Because, you know, I worked really hard on it <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, I've done a lot of really bad things, like just stupid things where I've, I've worked hard on them and they failed miserably. Yep. Um, but sometimes we work hard on something and then it works out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's inauthentic to pretend like it's, it didn't succeed or it wasn't good. And, uh, and, and it could be better. Absolutely. It could be better. And in fact, uh, my, my editor was Tony Jones who, um, uh, he, he was ruthless and, uh, I rewrote this book probably two times over the year before it published. And I could have rewritten it one more time. In fact, uh, chapter, I think five, I want to rewrite. Like I want so bad to rewrite it one more time. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not things in there that I think are effective and good. And, and, um, it's foolish to not appreciate those things. And, uh, just because it could be better. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's dive into it then. Uh, how describe how first you came to study humility in the first place? I, I doubt it's just something you sit down one day and say, you know what, I'm going to study humility. Who does that? Oh, I know. So man. how did this happen? I, well, two two factors. Um, one, you know, I, I when I was growing up, I, I first came to Christ in this church that uh, I just I love this church, and they they it was my first experience with like a loving community, and uh, and I just loved it, and I, I was introduced to God there, and. But at the same time, this church had this very low view of human nature, and uh, and they believed that you know real spiritual growth meant uh, seeing yourself as you really are, which is depraved and horrible, and there's nothing good in you, and the only thing that if there's anything good in you, it's only because God is has somehow uh, you know intruded into life and gotten into you and has done something good through you, but on your own, people can't do anything good. And, um, and pride is our enemy because pride is a feeling like that we are somehow good. Um, and, and, and so that was the view. Pride is the enemy. You have to think as soberly of yourself as possible. Uh, but then at the same time I'm in school and at school, this is in the early nineties. And so the self-esteem movement was just going gonzo and the self-esteem movement was saying, no, 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 you're, you're fantastic. You're great. You're wonderful. What you really need is you need positivity and self-esteem and it's shame. That's the enemy, not pride. And so here I am, this young punk who is pulled in these two different directions. Uh, you know, how should I view myself? Should I view myself as horrible and try to resist all pride or should I view myself as fantastic and try to avoid all shame? And, uh, and it was a really tough, I mean, it was a genuine dilemma, dilemma for me because all of life kind of hinges on how you view yourself. Uh, and, and so I, I kind of floated through life with these two forces kind of pulling on me. And um, when I was in college, I was in a life, uh, life and teachings of Jesus class and professor Herzog uh, gave everybody an assignment, the, the, the major paper for the class and how he did it was he walked around the, the classroom and he handed out these little scraps of paper and on the scrap of paper, 
you were given a word and whatever word you were given, that was your paper. And so I got my little scrap of paper and I, and I, of course, you know, I'm hoping for like atonement mm-hmm. or uh, uh, reconciliation or um, maybe uh, the problem of evil or something really sexy, you know, and I, I open mine up and it's humility. And it's just like, you gotta be kidding. Me. <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I tried to trade it with the guys around me, but let, this is a fact about Bible students. They are ruthless. No one was willing to trade. So, uh, so I was stuck with this humility paper, but praise God. Uh, this is when I, I stumbled upon Matthew 23. And uh, I, I believe that Matthew 23 solves this dilemma that I was in because Jesus shows this view of humanity that it's, it's like a third way that, that goes against these, um, these two perspectives, which I call ditches. Uh, the ditch of smallness says that we are fundamentally bad. Pride is the enemy. The ditch of bigness says that, no, 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 we're fundamentally good and shame is the enemy. And Jesus's teaching in Matthew 23 just turns that whole thing on its head. And this kind of serves as like a road between these two ditches. Yeah. So let's just talk about that then. Uh, Matthew 23, that's just a good transition. What uh, does Jesus show there about this third way you're talking about? And how did you see it? And, you know, what, what does he reveal there? Yeah, it's it's interesting because in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 12 in particular, and this is right before he gives the seven woes where he just unleashes on the Pharisees. Uh, and it's really like when people say, well, Jesus said some mean things, they, they usually pull from the seven yep. woes. Yep. Some of the things he says about the Pharisees, man, it's just cold hearted. And, uh, but before that, he says, this is the foundation of their problem. And it's that they lacked humility. And so in my opinion, these 12 verses really kind of give the best synopsis of what Jesus's view of humility was. And, uh, it's funny because like when people think about humility in the Bible, they usually don't go to Matthew 23. And, uh, but for me, man, when I read it the first time, it just jumped out at me. And in particular, what he says is that he says, uh, he, he talks about the pride and the arrogance of the Pharisees. And he says, don't be like them, basically. Uh, but then he says to his disciples, he says, don't call anyone on earth father. And uh, so don't put anybody above you. But then also don't let anybody on earth call you father or teacher. And he uses these labels and the labels aren't that important because he uses labels all over the place. But what he's really getting at here is that don't don't exalt other people above you and think that they're better than you, but also don't let other people do that to you. And so he's saying both putting yourself low or putting yourself high. They're both wrong. Shame and arrogance or pride. They're both wrong. Humility stands against both. And right away, I'm like, yeah, both of these perspectives are wrong. There's something right about each of them. There's something good about each of them. But when you think about them, usually what what they're right about is the other side being wrong. (laughs) And so like the ditch of smallness is so good at showing the flaws and the problems of self-esteem and positive thinking. And self-esteem and positive thinking are so good at showing the flaws of shame and smallness and all of that. But, uh, you know, whenever you have two perspectives like this that are both profoundly right about the other one being wrong, it can only mean that they're both wrong. Right. And, and and so here's Jesus saying, yeah, they're both wrong. Being above others and being below others, that's neither one of those perspectives are humility. Humility is something different. And that's sort of the first thing that popped out and said, wow, there's something really powerful here. Hmm. You know, I want to hear, hear that what that is, but let's just clarify a few terms as we go along here. You did mention the ditch of smallness there. 
And you sort of mentioned that earlier as well, but it goes along with these two sort of broadly recognized perspectives that most people have about human nature and personality and that sort of a thing. So, and you use these terms throughout the, the book. You talk about team smallness and team yeah. bigness, right? Or what was it? Yeah, and, that's right. And then yeah. ditch of smallness and ditch of bigness. So just describe those for us or those, those excellent images I think you bring out in the book. Yeah, uh, you know, with with um, you know team smallness or the ditch of smallness, that's basically that idea that we are fundamentally at our core we are bad, uh, and and the church has historically really kind of ridden that ditch. But it's not just the church because if you if you read Freud, I mean, he's very much in the ditch of smallness as well, and uh, and so that's basically the gist is truth and pursuing like a true sense of self is to get more and more in touch with those bad parts of you. And cause that's who you really are. Um, and the ditch of bigness says that, no, 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 who you really are is this good person. And it's, it's society that, that, and it's the, the situation that you're born into that really makes bad things happen and makes you do bad things. And so if you can get rid of the influence of other people, um, then these good qualities that are inside of you can really kind of come out. And it's, it's interesting because the ditch of bigness says society is the problem because they're the ones who, or your situation is the problem because that's what causes you to do bad things. The ditch of smallness says the opposite. No, 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 you're really bad. You need authority and society to contain your badness. Uh, and, and, and so both of them though, uh, drive a fundamental view of the self, which is you're either good fundamentally or you're bad fundamentally. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Jesus's teaching on humility, this third way, is based on um, the idea that you're neither fundamentally good nor fundamentally bad. What you are is fundamentally loved. And goodness and badness, that's a separate thing. That's something that God kind of places in our laps that, that he kind of sees what we're going to do with. And this is why the Bible says things like, I have placed before you uh, fire and water, life and death, uh, you know, blessings and curses. Um, and so the goodness and badness, we're fundamentally neither one of those. We're fundamentally loved and we have the capacity to be either good or bad. Yeah. That's fantastic. And that is really what you explain in so, so many ways throughout the book, that we're fundamentally loved, and then how that sort of works its way out. Yeah. Um, so the, the question is, is how as Christians can we develop—I mean, what, what does this humility actually look like in our lives as a Christian? I mean, because a lot of us have been trained, and I, I remember as a pastor, I sort of fell into the ditch of smallness a lot. I, I still remember one of my elders— uh, he he routinely referred to his children as sinner black spots. He, oh, wow. he, he called them that, sinner black spots, to, to their faces. <laughs> and that's the ditch of smallness, right? I mean, that's yeah, you are so evil. Time. You are, you are, you know, nothing you can do is good. Righteousness like filthy rags, and you know, you're sinner black spots. And mm -hmm. uh and, and then yeah, there's some some groups that go off on the other end. Um and you know, it's all about positivity and and self-esteem and all of those sorts of things. So yep. how how does it actually look, though, to live in the, the, the view that we're fundamentally loved? And, and not only how does it look, but how do we how do we find that path so that we don't fall off into those ditches? Yeah, I, I think what I would say, um, and this is mostly chapter three and four, the kind of where I start to get at, at, at unpacking this, but at, at its fundamental core, 
humility is realizing that you are loved, but not just loved. You are loved with an unsurpassable love. That is, you are loved by God because here's the problem with the ditch of bigness. The ditch of bigness sounds like you are loved, um, but it's, it, it, it's, uh, without God, it's not based on anything. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, you can't secure yourself from the inside out. You need some objective authority to secure you. Otherwise it's just this fickle fake thing. Uh, with, with Christianity, we have that objective source of security. We have this teaching that God loves us so much that with this unsurpassable by unsurpassable, what I mean is that he couldn't love you or me more than he actually does. And we see this in second Corinthians where uh, God became sin for us. And if sin is basically anything that's not God, then, uh, or that's not godly and God became that, that means that God became the antithesis of himself uh, because he loves us that much. He couldn't have gone any farther. And, And that's what it means by being, it's an unsurpassable love. He couldn't, there's nothing else he could pay other than becoming the antithesis of himself. And, and that's what an unsurpassable love is. And so realizing that the, the creator of the universe loves you more than he could possibly love you at the utmost uh, amount of love. That means that it doesn't matter anything that I do or say I am secure. Um, And, but in the world, we don't feel secure. What we feel is we feel like some people are better than others. We feel like um, I kind of have to earn my security. And so we engage in all sorts of behaviors where we try to secure ourselves and make ourselves uh, good enough. And um, and so humility fundamentally is living in more and more into the reality that uh, I am secured not by anything that I do, but I'm secured by uh, God's love for me. Um, and, and what that does is, is it, it, is the more we grow into that, and I have a lot of tools in the book that kind of help with that, but the more we grow into that, the less kind of up and down we feel. The, and what happens then is, because here's the thing, both shame and pride, they assume that some people are better than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, shame is a feeling of being inferior to others. And pride is a feeling of being superior to others. But if I'm loved with an unsurpassable love, then uh, I, neither of those things make any sense. And here's the trick with unsurpassable love too. If God loves me with an unsurpassable love and he loves you with an unsurpassable love, then he can't love Margot or Fremont more because then his love for you and me would have been surpassable. And so this unsurpassable love implies an unsurpassable equality with our brothers and sisters. And, and so shame and pride, this feeling of being inferior or superior is an illusion. There is no such thing as being superior or inferior in a world where we're all unsurpassably equal. And so the more we grow into this understanding of humility, the more that shame and arrogance sort of become the illusion that, that they are. Uh, and so that, that's kind of what I really focus on in the book is how do you grow into to that security of the self and that equality with our brothers and sisters. And man, it, it the more you can grow into it, the less shame and arrogance you have in your life, which is really powerful because if you study uh, mental health at all, it doesn't take long before you realize that shame and arrogance are like dysfunction steroids. They just, they amplify all of our mental illness symptoms. And and so the more you can grow into this humility, the more you grow away from that. And you sort of take the power out of a lot of human dysfunction. Hmm. So I don't know if that answered the question, but I kind of went all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, your book does go into great detail on this. And I, you even have this chart 
throughout the book that you sort of develop as you go along for people who want to get the book and, and really want to dive into this more. This I found this chart you include throughout where you have team smallness, team bigness, sort of the columns describing each and then showing how humility is completely different from each. Yeah. And uh, you really, it, it's a very helpful chart. I'm glad. And then you, you add to it sort of as you go throughout the book, right? Yeah. And, and unpack it. Uh, so how does it look though? I mean, okay. So I, I talked, it, we began the podcast by praising you about your book. Uh, so again, just from sort of a, what, what we are used to seeing in church and Christians and even, you know, politics and athletics and all of the, the star power people from Hollywood, uh, how does it look? Maybe, maybe just give an example of how the pride looks, how the shame looks, and then how humility looks, uh, in a person who's living that way. Sure. Um, I mean, maybe talk about the pride first. Someone praises you. No, let's let's right. let's uh, say a pastor gets praised for a, a really good sermon or yeah. something that he's preached. So, yeah, what are the three uh, approaches I, that you can have there? Right. So, I think um, that's a good way to think of it. Uh, I think that the a humble person will just hear what was done that was good and um, and be grateful. Uh, you'll be grateful that they did something good. I mean, I don't know if you've done sermons. I know you've written books, but man, you know, or even when you write a book, you know, it's just like, you just don't know if it's effective. It might be helpful for you as the writer, but you don't know if it's going to be helpful for other people. And, um, and, and when it is helpful, a humble person will be grateful and, Oh, I'm so glad, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful. But whereas a, um, a person who is either feeling shame or arrogance, um, they will use that to reinforce either their shame or their arrogance. Um, and, and so if, if uh, I have to back up just really quick to yeah, talk yeah. about the shame. Sure. So let me talk about the arrogance thing first. If you feel like you're superior to others and you give a good sermon, well then that just reinforces this, this belief that you're superior to others and your superiority gets solidified. Um, shame is unique <clears throat> in that, in the church, especially, we've kind of grown up with this idea that we are fundamentally bad. And uh, humility, a lot of times, has been to realize our badness. And so humility is often defined as the opposite of, of pride. And so if that's the case, if, if humility is the opposite of pride, uh, then, you know, I have to get as small and anti-self as possible. And so if somebody comes up and compliments me, that's a threat now to my humility. Mm. And so I have to defer. I have to say, oh, it's, it was all God. It wasn't me. It, I didn't do anything. It was just the Holy Spirit did that for me. Or, or um, you know, a less mature Christian might say, oh, it wasn't really all that good. And it was nothing. And, and they'll downplay it because any type of positivity is a threat to this understanding of humility because it's, it's some type of pro self thing. So humility just realizes that because I'm loved with an unsurpassable love, it doesn't matter how good the sermon is. <laughs> it could be the best sermon that has been ever given in the history of the world. It doesn't make me better or worse. It doesn't alter God's unsurpassable love for me. That doesn't mean he, just because I did the best sermon ever and 6,000 people came to Christ and weeping and, and they've turned their lives around, he still doesn't love me more than he loves Margot. You know, it, it's just, it doesn't matter at all. And so humility recognizes that when you're loved with an unsurpassable love and your brothers and sisters are loved with an unsurpassable love, 
it doesn't really matter. You can be grateful for it, but you don't have to downplay it and you don't have to puff yourself up because of it, because it's, it's futile to do so. Um, I think that that would be the best I can do. No, that's fantastic. That's exactly what I was looking for. And it doesn't, we were talking about sermons and books, but it's not just in the religious sphere, right? I mean, this is for people who do a good job at work, who Mm -hmm. make a good meal, uh, who raise their children well. Man, you have really good kids. Uh, They are so well-behaved. You know, you don't have to try to downplay that or puff yourself up. Uh, Yeah, you were, it's hard. Parenting is hard and you work hard at it. So you can take... Uh, you know, respond with um, gratitude that people are noticing your hard work. Uh, my wife is a fitness fanatic, and uh, she works very, very hard uh, to maintain a fit lifestyle with all that's involved with her, her her dieting and her exercise. And she gets praise all the time from people um, about the hard work she's put into. So there's an example, too, in the fitness yeah. realm. I mean, sports athletes, musicians, everybody who works hard at something— uh, deals with this sort of how do I respond to people when I get praise, and it's not just in the church setting. Yeah. So uh, you know, people, if you if you have a job, you work hard at work, whatever it is, uh, this this approach to humility is going to help you navigate that that dilemma. And it's not just about trying to respond to people, but also how we view ourselves and what's sort of going on inside our yeah. our minds, right? Yeah, absolutely, because you know. Is if you believe that some people are better than others, uh, then you can't help but become self-obsessed. Because if some people are better than others, then we have to say, well, where do I fit in? Yeah. And as soon as I kind of get a sense of where I fit in, well, then I have to figure out, well, how can I move up? Because there's consequences for being high and low on on this hierarchy. Uh, and and that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on everything that we do. Because like if I <clears throat> if I want to learn the violin, it, it's it's uh I'm not just learning the violin for the sake of the violin. I'm trying to move up some dumb hierarchy. And, and so humility is this understanding that it doesn't matter. There is no hierarchy. The hierarchy is a delusion. This idea that some people are better than others. It's a delusion. It's, I call it the delusion of inequality because Jesus says in Matthew 23, you are all brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And he says this right in the middle of when he says, don't put people above you and don't let, let people put you above them. So don't be below others and don't be above others for you are all brothers and sisters. You are all equal, in other words. And so this idea that oh, I'm going to move up, if, if I was the greatest violin player in the world, that would really mean something. And, and But it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything. And that may sound like, well, what's the point of playing the violin then? Uh, but if you think that, that means that you're stuck in this hierarchy game. Uh, if you're not playing the violin just because you love playing the violin, you like the sound of it or whatever, then what are you doing with it? Mm. Uh, and, and humility really helps us just play the violin for the sake of the violin or um, uh, you know, run just for the sake of I want to be a good runner. And it, or you know, maybe give a sermon because I want to – I like putting together stories. I like putting together a message, and I want to do that in front of my brothers and sisters. If you can do that without this kind of fear of moving up or down, well, then you can focus on everything just for the sake of the thing itself without all the extra weight and burden of, you know, what does this say about me? Uh, you could just play play the violin for the sake of the violin and it's very liberating. And I argue that I think it makes us more effective uh, and ultimately more confident um, because we don't have to worry about those delusional consequences of our, our performance. So. 
Yeah, and that is sort of the other half of the title of your book is confidence, confident humility. So we do, as we follow this approach to humility, we learn to be confident in who we are, who God made us to be, his love for us, and uh, you know what gives uh, us sort of fulfillment, satisfaction in life, right? So, so before we look at Colossians, I do have a verse there we want to talk about real briefly, sort of here the, near the end of the interview. But how, if, if people want to develop this sort of humility in their life, they want to escape the ditch of smallness or the ditch of bigness. They feel like they're trapped in one or the other. Uh, how? How? What, what can they do? What are some? I don't know if there's steps exactly, maybe mindset changes that they can start to build into their life. Uh, what are some practical things they can do to start developing this confident humility? I think that the you know there's probably a lot of things depending on where people are coming from, but the first thing is just is to separate this idea of goodness and badness out of out of like your fundamental view of yourself. You're not fundamentally good or fundamentally bad. Uh, you're fundamentally loved. And, and so you don't have to worry about earning your love or anything like that. That's just God. Roman says that God loved us with this unsurpassable love while we were still sinners. So when we were at our worst, God loved us with this unsurpassable love. And so you don't have to worry about your security or anything like that. And, uh, and, and so viewing goodness and badness as a separate thing, I think is, is a big deal. Um, and it is something we are supposed to work for or try to attain, right? Again, a absolutely. lot of people with humility think that you hear it sometimes that if you're trying to become humble, then you won't become humble. That's right. And that's because they view humility as the opposite of pride. And, and if humility is the opposite of pride, then anything good that I do sabotages my humility. And, uh, and so that's where, you know, uh, you know, Tim Keller says that we can't even, we can't even ask the question, am I humble? Because uh, if, as soon as I answer it, well, then I'm no longer humble. Mm -hmm. And you can't teach anybody humility because as soon as they think they learn it, then they, they're not humble anymore. And, and that's, that's the mental trap that you get into when you view humility as the opposite of, of pride. But Jesus says, humble yourselves. Yep. So <laughs> we got to be able to do it. We have to be able to learn it. And, and so and that's an indicator that there's something wrong with our view if we're caught in those mental traps. Um, I think that, uh, so the first thing I would say is just understand that you're loved with this unsurpassable love, that humility really means understanding that you are secure. And then also your brothers and sisters are secure and that so that you are all equal, that no one is above or below anybody. It, now, there might be people who are above or below you with authority, like, you know, uh, a political official or or even, you know, a dumb example would be, you know, if if our plumbing gets clogged. I have a plumber come out and he's an authority. Mm. <laughs> he knows what's going on with my plumbing way better than I can. And, uh, you know, police are authorities and, and they have certain rights to in society that I don't. But in Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't have that. In fact, at the beginning of Matthew 23, he says that, look, you have to listen to the, the teachers and the Pharisees because they sit in Moses' seat. So he's not saying that no one should have authority over one, one another. What he's saying is that you shouldn't imply anything about that authority about yourself as a whole. Yeah. You shouldn't think that you're better than others and that you deserve important seats and that people should praise you in the streets and, and things like that. Uh, that's all that Jesus is saying is that you, you need to be secure in yourself and God's unsurpassable love for you and recognize that you are all brothers and sisters and that unsurpassable love applies to everybody. Excellent. Fantastic. All right, so let's sort of take what we've discussed and apply it to Colossians, I think you said 2.18, right? 
Yeah. Um, sort of maybe explain oh. how this verse is sort of traditionally understood and then what you've learned about the verse and how humility, this view of humility helps us. Well, I, that's a good question. You know, I, I probably should have done some research on how it's traditionally understood. Oh, that's a- <laughs> I, I just think it's a verse that really, uh, What's it called when people um, uh, just find verses that support their theory? Sort of What's that called? Uh, sort of cherry proof texting. Proof texting. Yeah, proof, proof texting. texting. Yeah. So really, this is just me proof texting. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, well, I was noticing this is, as reading it, even this, this, it's talking about false humility, and false is in italics there, which is a sort of giveaway that something weird is going on here. But Yeah, well, and the translation that I have says this. I don't know where this is. And maybe I just uh, translated it myself. I don't know. But Uh it says, uh, this is in Colossians 2.18, do not let anyone mislead you either by insisting on self-abasement, which is the ditch of smallness, or by puffing you up without cause by human ways of thinking, which is the ditch of bigness. Mm. And, and, And so, you know, it's basically this idea that these ditches have been with us for many, many, many years. And there's always going to be an impulse to view yourself as small or to, to encourage self-abasement because you look at the, the wreckage that's caused by arrogance, you know, and you look at all the problems in society that's caused by arrogance. And so there's going to be a compulsion to uh, fill yourself with self-abasement. But that leads to shame, and shame causes all sorts of problems as well. And, you know, that's, uh, I think, a lot of the sexual dysfunction in, in the church has been because of shame. Uh, the Catholic Church, the, the molestation of boys, those are behaviors that are, are shame-based behaviors. And you see the wreckage that shame causes. And so there's going to be an impulse to go in the opposite direction and to puff people up and to, to instead of self-abasement, to build people up and to puff them up just positivity and, and self-esteem and, and there's going to be those impulses, which then again leads to arrogance and the cycle just kind of continues. And I think the apostle Paul's really tapping into this, this, this cycle that look, uh, you have to, don't let anyone mislead you in either direction because they are both, they both lead to false humility. Real humility is recognizing that humility stands against both shame and arrogance. And uh, uh, James Kellenberger gives, I think, the best kind of um, analogy for this. Uh, like, how is it that sh- humility stands against both shame and arrogance? And he says it's like pacifism. Pacifism, you could say, is the opposite of winning a war. But it's also the opposite of losing a war. And you wouldn't say that pacifism is a balance between winning a war and losing a war. It's it's against war itself. There's this thing called war, and you can win in it or you can lose in it, and pacifism is opposed to both of them. Uh, humility is the same way. There's this thing that creates both arrogance and shame, and humility stands against whatever that thing is. And in the book, I talk about what that thing is. Um uh, it's but, refusing uh, to yeah, play the so, game, right? You're 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 living by a completely different set of rules. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're 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 trying to move up the hierarchy mm-hmm. or or down the hierarchy, yeah. as, it, as it were. And but, you just say, "I'm not playing that game anymore." You're not playing that game yeah. anymore. Yeah. No, that's an excellent analogy with pacifism, and yep. uh, that's fantastic. So good. Well, Dan, I really appreciate you giving me the time here. The book once again is Confident in Humility: Becoming Your Full Self without becoming full of yourself. I love the subtitle. 
<laughs> Great play on words. Uh, listen, Dan, if people want to, uh, obviously, they can get the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I imagine anywhere books are sold, your local bookstore. It's published by Fortress Press, so so they make sure to get the books out everywhere, right? I think so. Uh, definitely uh, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, and Amazon, I know of. I don't know about the brick and mortars. Yeah. I don't know. Well, are there any brick and mortars anymore? There's <laughs> not very many, but you can even... Fortress, if, if you go into your local bookstore, if you have a brick and mortar nearby, they'll, they can order it for you, even if they don't have it in stock, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, it's much easier just to get it online nowadays, yeah. shipped right to your door. So um, that's fantastic. And, and Dan, if people want to contact you or get in touch with you or learn more about you, uh, mm-hmm. how can they do that? Well, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter all the time. That's the best. Uh, and, I love and your please. Twitter feed. Oh, thanks. Uh, I just, I like to joke around on there and have fun. And, uh, but it's that Dan Kent and, uh, and please, you know, talk to me about the book. And, uh, I like, I love, I'm, I love social media if it's social. Yeah. There's so many Christian leaders who just view it as media. I like to, I like to connect with people and talk and, you know, let's have a conversation. And, uh, so yeah, that's the best. Otherwise I'm on Facebook also. It's, um, author Daniel Kent is the, is the page. I don't really do anything on my personal page at all. Almost everything I do on Facebook is through the, the author page. And I, I share things that I'm researching and, and um, things like that. So those are the best ways. Good. Twitter and Facebook, that yep. Dan Kent on Twitter and then author Dan Kent, right? On Actually, Facebook. author Daniel Kent. Yeah, author Dan Daniel Kent. Uh-huh. I think Dan Kent was taken, but okay. I can't remember. Yeah. All right. Good. All right, fantastic. I highly recommend you get the book, Confident Humility. Go to Amazon right now and get it. I will be including links in the show notes for this if you are accessing the um, the, the show notes page on my website. Did you have something hey, else really to say? Quick, yeah, go uh, ahead. Hey, uh, you, Jeremy, you're doing really good work, and I just want you to know that I love the stuff that you're doing, so keep it up, all right? I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Uh, it means a lot coming from you, so uh, it's good to know. But... Um, Fantastic. All right. Well, that was Dan Kent, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Please, please, please go and get a copy of this book today. Read it uh, because it will turn your view of humility upside down. And you are going to learn how God loves you, his insurpassable love for you. And and, and that's going to help you escape these ditch of smallness or the ditch of bigness, however you find yourself in. It's going to change your perspective on life, change your perspective on how you view what you do in life and why you do it and also how to respond to people who give you praise and glory for what you've done. So uh, it's a fantastic book, and uh, I really appreciate Dan coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jeremy. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye.